James chapter 2. James chapter 2. In verse number 14 and following, you can follow along with me on the overhead. And I do think this is central to the book of James, and I'll tell you why. Let's read together. James chapter 2, verse 14 and following. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds or works. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Verse 19. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without works is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds or works is dead. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. I have something to say to you. The just shall live by works. I think is the theme, central theme, of the book of James. Before I address that particularly, let me draw to your attention some, what I think are real key verses in the book of James. Makes it such a great book. In verses that are worthy of your attention and even memorizing. 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth liberally to all men. 1.14, no man can say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Verse 23, if any man be a hearer of the word and a doer, he's a deceiver. Chapter 2, verse 19, demons believe and tremble. Chapter 3, the tongue is an unruly evil and no man has tamed. Resist the devil, 5.11, the patience of Job. 5.16, confess your sins to one another. 5.17, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Those are powerful, powerful verses. And each one of them deserves almost a sermon of its own because of the impact that those verses really carry with them. The book of James. The author is more than likely the Lord Jesus' half-brother. The date of the epistle probably is in the middle 40s, which would probably put that as the very first New Testament book that was written. It's called a general epistle 
but it's really specific in that it addresses the twelve tribes of Israel that were scattered abroad. So it is the most Jewish book of the New Testament. I consider it like the Sermon of the, on the Mount, part two. It's the book of Proverbs of the New Testament. It's, though, the thorn in the side to the book of Romans. It's the book the Mormons, the Catholics, and others who claim that you're not saved by faith alone, but faith and works. It's unique in that it calls the audience of readers adulterers, sinners, living in pleasure on the earth, etc. It's general because of the way it addresses subjects throughout the letter and can have a wide application. Rich, poor, proud, humble, faith, works, blessing, cursing, friendship with the world, enemy of God, Resist the devil, draw near to God. Ahira, adua, yea, yea, and nay, nay. Troubled and happy, body and spirit, truth and ever. But it's also a personal letter to the family of God. Fifteen times in James, he makes reference to them as brethren or brothers and sisters. He is addressing them as the family of faith. It's directed to believers for certain based on several passages like the following. He chose to give us a birth through the word of truth. 118. To one, you believe in our glorious Lord Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 7. They blaspheme the worthy name by which you are called. That's the name of the Lord Jesus. And in the fifth chapter, they're to call for the elders of the church. So it's obvious that he's addressing it primarily to believers, Christians, Christ-like ones, Christ followers, Jesus' disciples. And at the same time, in the content of the book of James, there are false mixed in with the true. You have those who say, he says, you say you believe... But so don't the demons. So your believing is inadequate. There were some that believed, but had an inadequate belief. He refers to them as adulterers who had an affection for the world. He calls them sinners and double-minded in chapter 4, verse 8. He calls the rich among them as abusers. In chapter 5, verse 6, he says, And you killed the innocent one, which could be a reference to the Jews who were responsible primarily for the death of Jesus. And he says, You killed the innocent one. And it could be the innocent one could be the believer who stands in a general way for innocence and they are being abused by those that are wealthier and have more power. But it seems apparent that there is a mixed multitude that James is addressing. Just like the ones that came out of Egypt, they weren't just all purebred Jews, there were also Egyptians that seemed to fall into the fold, non-Jews, 
non-covenantal people, if you will, and this could be very much the case here. So we have to ask ourselves the question, as we read the book of James, it's a good one to search me, like the psalmist said, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Are you a true believer? And how can you or others know that you are? That is a $60,000 question, isn't it? Are you a true believer? And do others recognize that? What about your works? The title of our sermon this morning is The Just Shall Live by Works. Now, that's not a scripture, is it? The just shall live by faith. That's in the book of Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 4, I believe. It's repeated in the book of Romans a couple different times. Hebrews as well. The just shall live by faith. But James is saying the just shall live. That is, the righteous shall live by works. Now, this verse, I think, is the key verse that I think captures the book of James. And that would be found, believe it or not, in verse 13 of chapter 3, which reads like this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. I'll repeat that, the second half. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Which harmonizes very much with what someone had said earlier as far as the theme. I forget it was someone on this side. Oh, it was Chrissy, I believe. I think you hit the nail right on the head, sister. And others of you, too, obviously have got a good grasp of what James is trying to communicate. And just like chapter 1, verse 22, James says, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like unto a man that beholds his natural face in a glass. He beholds himself and he goes away and he forgets what kind of person he was. James is criticizing that hypocrisy. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. What is conduct and what is works? Conduct, I would describe it this way, as being character in display. Character in display works, I would describe as actions in display. And I think the book of James lays out both conduct for the believer and works for a believer. Let's look at conduct first. Again, which is character in display. One twelve. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Talking about our sister and what she's had to endure with her illness over these last two plus years. Blessed is the one, blessed is the sister who perseveres under trials. One nineteen. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Two one. Doesn't show partiality towards the rich. Chapter 3 and following, bites the tongue, that unruly evil that no man can tame. Conduct of a Christian should be one that curbs or halts the flowing out of words from their lips that can bring sin into their life. 
4.11, doesn't speak evil of others. 5.1, doesn't grumble with one another. 5.7, is patient towards unfair masters. 5.2, honesty, no need for oath-taking. That's 5.12 rather. Honesty, no need for oath-taking. In 5.19, reaching out to the wayward, those that have gone astray. These are characteristics of the conduct of a true child of God. Now, works. Not just conduct, as 3.13 says, by his good conduct, let him show his works, secondly, in the meekness of wisdom. What are the works that James is advocating? Visiting the fatherless and widows in their affliction and keeping himself unspotted from the world. That, James says, is pure, unalloyed religion. That is, you could say, pure Christianity. Visiting the fatherless and widows. As you read through the Old Testament, they were the ones always that were the apple of God's eye, so to speak. God's compassion went out to the widows and to the fatherless. How much more should we, as well, imitate our Heavenly Father with His care for those we should do the same? Chapter 2, verse 8, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a deed, that's a work. Are we willing to lend a hand? Are we willing to listen to our neighbor and try to help out where we can? 2.14, how about providing material necessities to the needy, the naked, and those that are deprived of daily food? How generous or how stingy are we with our material possessions? 4.17, you know how to do, do good. And if you don't do it, it's sin. 5.14, anoint those that are sick and pray over them. These are some of the works that James is advocating for the true people of God. Dio Moody was uh, met by a, a medical doctor uh, years after the medical doctor had heard him preach. And when he saw Mr. Moody, the evangelist back in the 19th century, he said, to, he said, Mr. Moody, he says, I heard you preach 14 years ago, and through your preaching, God saved me. And Moody's response to him was this, what have you been doing since? Wow, that's a searching question. Very basic, very simple, isn't it? Let's apply that to me, to you, to ourselves. How many years ago has it been that you've been saved, that you heard the Gospel and the Lord opened your heart? Has He opened your heart? Have you come to know, like in the book of James, are you called by that worthy name? Is Jesus the one who you believe on, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Are you one of the brothers and sisters of the family of faith? What have you been doing since? That's a searching question, I think. Someday we're going to have to give an account of ourselves. Then there we'll have the perfect records. Matter of fact, when you open up the book of Revelation and look at chapter 20 at the great white throne, and it says, and the books were opened. And another book was opened. We always think of just the book 
the Lamb's book of life, and whoever was not found written in, in it was cast into the lake of fire. But it says, and other books were open. The book of what? Of the works of the individual. We cannot minimize the teaching of works or the uh, emphasis in the Bible about works simply because we know that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Hallelujah! That's what saves me. is not me, not my works, not my efforts. It's what Christ did. Like the hymn writer says, not the labor of my hands could fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? Not for sin could ever atone, but thy blood and thine alone. Are you depending on the blood of the Lamb of God for the remission of your sins? It's a critical question. How do, then do we know if we are the Lord's or that anyone else is the Lord's? What have we been doing since? The book of Proverbs says that a child is known by his actions. A child is known by his actions. You know, some of the worldly wise expressions sort of, I think, hits the point. Big talk, no actions. Have you heard that one? Put your money where your mouth is. Put up or shut up. Shape up or ship out. In other words, let's see some evidence. Let's see the proof. You say it with your lips, well, prove it by your actions. Right there in the book of James where we were reading, it says, Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. What is dead? It's a dead faith. It's an empty faith. It might even be an accurate doctrinal faith that one could have and yet still be lost. You might have the right answers, and this is maybe important for young kids in this, in this audience, teenagers and younger. You might have the right answers doctrinally that you can say, I'm going to go to heaven because I believe Jesus died for my sins and that He rose from the dead and He's seated at the right hand of God and His blood has washed me from all... Amen! That's, those are true words. It's a great confession. Great doctrine in those statements. But, it's possible, like James says, you believe in God... Very good. But so don't the demons believe in God. What, a, what an analogy that is. What, what connection do I have with demons? The, the, the connection would be that demons believe. Here comes the Most Holy One when demons were confronted by Jesus. The Son of the Most Holy they called the Lord Jesus. They believed. But they shuddered. Some people believe in God and they don't shudder. I wish they would at least like the demon shudder. That might create a little anxiety that maybe I'm not right with God. Maybe God is really holy. Maybe there is a judgment ahead. Maybe there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. Maybe the work of Christ on the cross is valuable and only valuable for the one who believes on Him as their personal Lord and Savior. 
Faith without works is dead. What is that telling us? Faith is an action word. I want you to look at this picture on the overhead that's going to be posted in a second here. Faith is an action. What is that? What's that, Ivy? Okay. Well, what kind of boat is it? Anybody know? You do? Go ahead, Evan. A what? A yacht. Hmm. Um, well, I'm not sure what a definition of a yacht is, but that's certainly big enough for one. And there's something about this large boat that makes it considered to be a inboard. There's an inboard boat and there's a outboard motorboat. This happens to be like other boats. This is a large yacht. Yes, I think that would be right. Is that right, Ken? <laughs> we got an expert here, and here I'm wondering, is it a yacht or isn't it? What is the definition of a yacht? I don't know. See Ken later downstairs. Have a cup of soup with him. He'll tell you what a yacht is. He's been on many of them. Anyway, the point in this picture is simply this. Can you imagine having a boat that doesn't have a motor in it? When it's considered to be a motor boat. A motorboat is designed to move swiftly through the waters. Well, let's think of it this way. Faith is an action word. Faith is the engine that drives the works. Hopefully, this can help us explain, because oftentimes we're challenged with the idea about our works. Well, what about works? We don't think works are unimportant. Works, though, do not contribute to your conversion, to your salvation whatsoever. The thief on the cross had no work whatsoever he could perform. That's all he could say is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord said, today... I'm going to take you down from the cross. I want you to work for it. No. He says, today, with your hands stretched out and nailed to a tree like mine, you cannot move. You cannot come down. Nevertheless, by faith in me is what grants you the gift of paradise with Christ, the real paradise for the one who repents and obeys the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith is that engine that drives us to work. When we turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we have by faith, by faith, by faith, what? By faith, Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees. By faith, Abraham offered up his son Isaac on the altar. By faith, Noah built an altar. By faith, Moses fled Egypt. Faith is action. See, works puts a face on faith. You can have works and not faith. And that's the tricky part. Because if the emphasis goes heavily on the work side, it can give you a placebo kind of feeling about your being a believer. I don't want to depend on my works. Absolutely not. I'm depending on the precious blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who my hope is in. It's not in myself, but it's in Him. It was a tract that used to be called 
well, it's still around, probably called Safety, Certainty, and Enjoyment. I think it's the title of it. And one of the illustrations that the author used, his name was George Cutting, was this. When you're in a boat and you want to fish, for instance, on a boat, what you, and you have the anchor in the boat, you're expected to throw the anchor out of the boat so that you can stay in one place. It secures you. That illustrates how it is with some people. Some people have the anchor in the boat, meaning that they're putting all of their confidence in themselves. But a real believer takes the anchor, as it were, throws it out and places it fully and confidently on the person of the Lord Jesus. That's what gives certainty. So you have to ask yourself, where is your anchor? Is your anchor in yourself? Or is your anchor on the solid rock? Wow, that's the place that it needs to be put. Now James goes on to describe as well other pictures, and we have this throughout the New Testament, because it says in 317, the fruit of the, excuse me, the wisdom from above, this is what it produces, among other things, is full of Good fruits. And if you look at this next illustration up on the screen, what do you see there? What do you see there, Lillian? What is it? I can't see it looking at you. It's a what? A dead tree. Do you see any fruit on that? No. Why? Why Why doesn't it have fruit? What's the problem? It's dead Its roots probably have dried up. The roots have no nourishment. And as a result, there's no production on the trees. They're just dry, empty, and they'll probably wither and break off eventually. By the fruits, Jesus says, you will know them. Proverbs 11.30 says, the fruit of a righteous man is a well of life. Or rather, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. The fruit of the righteous. What is that? The deeds, the works, is what faith generates or produces. Now, in case you're wondering about James being contradictory to Pauline theology, let's set the record straight. Paul says, and we were just doing this the last time we preached on a book, was in Titus, it ends by saying, be zealous of good works. Be zealous of good works. So Paul is not against good works. Paul's against making your works your justification before God. Whereas James is saying, your works is your justification before men. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Man should be able to judge me by the fruit, right? Is it coming off a tree? A good tree, Jesus says, bringeth forth good fruit. A bad tree brings forth bad, bad fruit. Nothing. I know this is quite simple, but the point I hope is more powerful than even the simplicity of it. Now, James chapter 2 winds up this way. And I'm going to be a little shorter today because of what's going to be going on later. 226. 
as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds or without works is dead. If you want to know a definition from the Bible on what defines death, it's right here, 226. When I was in college, I chose to write a paper for um, uh, the course that I was taking was on medical ethics. And it had to do with uh, when does uh, a person cease to exist? Is it brain damage, the cessation of brain waves, or is it the heart, the respiratory system, etc.? What defines death? And this was back in the early 70s, and there was a lot more ambiguity about these things than, than there is now. But still, that can be somewhat debated. There was a case I remember in those studies where uh, a young man in Tel Aviv, in the land of we know as Israel, was involved in an avalanche and a large stone had struck his head and pretty much crushed it. He, of course, immediately is taken to the hospital and they put all the electronic devices on him to try to detect the brain waves. Is that the EEG? Is that right? Okay, the EEG was placed there. And for two solid weeks, there was no indication of any brain wave activity. Now, the nurses here and maybe medical people, Josiah and uh, Julie and Michelle. Who else am I missing? Any other nurses here? Uh, Wally, no, you're not a nurse. Um, A doctor maybe, but not a nurse. Um, Well, I'm not sure how they interpret that, but then at least to not have brain waves for two weeks was a sure sign that the person was dead. The family said, give it another day. That next day, all of a sudden, brain waves started showing up on the EEG. That gets complicated, doesn't it? I remember when my grandfather was dying, and I was a fairly young Christian, and my unsaved family looked to me sort of as a spiritual uh, genie, I guess, and guru, and thought I had all the answers to these questions. And my grandfather was on artificial respiration, and he had been on for several days, and the doctors were saying, we think it's about time my family comes to me and asks me what I think. And it was like, oh man, it was a tough decision to make. I mean, I, I had to be speak in meekness of wisdom when it came to that. And I... I wanted to give it a little more time, which I think we did do, but it was obvious that he wasn't going to recover. But anyway, James tells us, as the body without the spirit is dead. Look at this picture above right now. I don't know how gory it's going to be, but this is what? Come on, Ethan. Or Michael Payne, you guys are into video games. What is this? Begins with a Z. A zombie. What's a zombie? Hi, Gabe. What's a zombie? A what? Okay. Another definition, maybe? It's really a soulless body, which is really an impossibility. It's a fictitious character. No one can survive or be around without a soul, without a spirit, if you will. I don't know how I would explain, though, but when the graves were open, remember, after Jesus died on the cross. It says many of the graves of the saints were opened and went into the holy city. I don't know how I would interpret that 
whether they were soulless bodies. I, I think the main point Matthew is trying to bring out and God is raising these bodies is to show the power of God in raising a body from the dead. I think that's one of the most mysterious portions in all of the Bible where countless amounts of people rise up out of their graves and they walk into the city of Jerusalem. Guess who's coming for supper? Come on! Look at me! Remember me? I was your great-great-grandfather. Did you hear the... I mean, who knows? We could have all kinds of crazy thoughts about this. But the New Testament states that. Anyway, getting back to James, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. There's two things here. You have either dead faith or dead works. If you have dead faith, you might be able to produce good works. Jesus is how... Uh, which one of you uh, that has a child and the child asks you for uh, a... Uh, 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 a fish, will you give him a serpent? You know what I'm saying. I, and he said, how can, that, how can you being evil, you're doing good. You're evil, but you can do good. So, we can't judge somebody's faith by just their good deeds. Because even evil people can do good things. Jesus says in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, for even sinners love their own. So sinners can love. And if they may like you or not uh, enough to say that they love you, I've heard people say that that definitely are not saved, that they love me. Not talking about family members either, but just friends or, or people that I've grown up with or known, they love me. Okay? Uh, so... Love is kind of a natural, universal gift that can be expressed. So that's not, again, that's another kind of a work, but that's not what is going to generate faith. Works doesn't produce faith. It's faith that produces works. So if you say you have faith and you have not worked, something's missing there. You need to have that engine to drive the boat you need to have the roots in order to be a fruit. And you need to have the soul to have life in the body. Without faith, there are no works. But faith that has no works is no faith. The demons believe, you can believe. But it's not redeeming belief. It has no salvific merits because it's simply a declaration that you believe in God. That can come very easy to many people without wanting to lay hold of the claims that Jesus makes for one who really wants to be a believer. Because Jesus sets the record straight by saying, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That is the gospel, or that should be included in the gospel. A willingness to deny oneself and take up the cross and follow him. That's genuine belief. That's belief that is saving. 
meritorious because it's saying, I'm throwing the anchor out. I'm placing it on someone other than me. And that other is Christ in Him alone. On Christ alone. I think we're singing some lyrics of that, were we not? Christ alone. My cornerstone. What a place to put one's confidence and trust in. James is a book that really needs a lot of attention. I'm so glad that I am journeying and I went to the book of James because it opened up a lot of thoughts that I had not entertained before. Didn't think about a lot of the things that you've heard this morning are things that I never even dwelt on or thought about previously. But boy, this book is rich. And I do conclude that I think the theme of the book is the just shall live by works. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for the gift of gifts, Lord Jesus, our Savior, the One who bore our sins in His own body on the tree. Lord, we worship and praise and give You thanks for Your Son. And Lord, our heart goes out to anyone in this room who does not have their faith in Jesus. Lord, we pray that You would cause them to turn away their eyes from themselves, to not look within, but to look without, to not look downward, but to look upward, to look not at others, but to look at the cross and to behold the Lamb. Lord, have mercy on them. Give them, Lord, a vision of Calvary. Show them the Lamb of God who bore sins in His body on the tree, that they, by the Spirit's inspiration in their soul, would be able to say, it was for me. Lord, we just thank You that many of us in the room can say that Christ is in me, the hope of glory. That we have believed on our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And it's Him whose name we adore. And Lord, we thank You that we are brothers and sisters in the family of God. And that we know You, Lord. We love You. We bless You and praise You. Thank You, Lord, for the gift of eternal life through Jesus our Lord. Thank You, Lord. Your Word tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Thank You, Lord, that it didn't cost us anything, but cost Your Son everything for our salvation. Lord, we give You worship and thanks in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.